Testament readings from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to stand. The Easter Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men be crucified, 
and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they went back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You know, this is one of the two festivals or celebrations that Christians all throughout the world celebrate. What would be the two top ones? We've got what? Christmas, and then the next one, of course, is Easter. Now, I think Christmas is a little bit bigger. We celebrate it for over a month, right? And uh, it's definitely a lot more expensive, okay? Now, I get most of the trappings of Christmas, but there's some things about Easter that I've never quite figured out. And one of them is why we color Easter eggs and hide them. Have you ever thought about that? Well, I've got a theory about that, and uh, don't hold me to it. I don't have any evidence. But did you know that according to his human nature, Jesus did not appreciate eggs? He didn't like them. He didn't like the smell of them. And so when he called his disciples together for three years, he outlawed eggs. They ate no eggs, all right? You're, you're with me now. And then came Good Friday, and Jesus died on the cross. And the disciples were so despondent, so discouraged, so defeated, and they huddled up in the upper room. Well, Saturday came, and Peter, the mouth of the disciples, said, we need to lift everybody's spirits. And since we haven't had eggs for three years, let's go get some eggs. And so they all went on an egg hunting expedition, and they found eggs, dozens of them. Lots of eggs. They had a, an egg feast, okay? And then came Easter morning. The tomb was empty. Jesus is risen. And they, they celebrated. They danced. They laughed. They cried. And then one of them said to each other, what do we do with all these eggs? And then someone said, let's hide them. <laughs> and another one said, before we hide them, maybe we ought to camouflage them. So they colored the eggs and hit them. That's where we get Easter egg hunts. As someone said coming out of church last night, Pastor, that's ridiculous, okay? <laughs> but you know what? The smiles that I saw and the laughter that I heard on your face is indicative of what we are here about. That Jesus is not dead, he is alive. And that brings a tremendous joy that nothing in this world can bring to us. You know, what do you think is the greatest fear that people face? What's the greatest fear of mankind? I believe it's the fear of death. Now, there are two certainties in life. You've heard this before. There is death, and then there's also taxes, right? You can, theoretically, if you have the right kind of means and, and connections, you can, you can skip the taxes. But the Bible says it is appointed for every person to die in Hebrews chapter 9. Death. 
It's something that we all have to face. And it's, it's, it's something that is, is so difficult for us. And if, but if we can't talk about it here at Easter, when can we talk about it? Because the very essence of the Easter message has the women, as we saw in the Easter gospel, coming to a t- the tomb to anoint a dead body. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And it says, in their fright, do you know what fright is? It's extreme fear. In their extreme fear, they looked inside, and that's when they saw the two men with dazzling clothes. God's messengers. Yes, angels. And what did they say? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Death could not hold Jesus. The Apostle Paul, under the Holy Spirit, comments on this in uh, 1 Timothy. It says, Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Older versions say that Christ has abolished death. Now, there's only one problem with that. If Christ has abolished death, why is it that we still die? Why is it that our cemeteries on the north side here of Indianapolis are filling up? Why is it that we built a columbarium on our campus here to honor the cremains of loved ones? Why is it that when I checked on Thursday the obituaries in the Indianapolis Star, there were 170 of them one day? What's going on? 4,000 years ago, Job asked this question. He says, if a person dies, will he live again? You see, Christ has abolished death, but we still die. Romans tells us the reason why. He says, first there was Adam and Eve, and they lived perfectly in the garden. And during this Lenten season, we've been talking about what it was like to live under the shade of the tree of life. They had a perfect relationship with God. They were sinless. They also had a perfect relationship with all creation, even themselves. But then they were tempted. And they yielded to that temptation and they disobeyed God and they were removed from the garden. No longer could they experience the tree of life. Sin always leads to death. And as long as sin exists in the world, death will never be far away. When someone dies, a death certificate has to be filled out. And there's one line there that says cause of death. And while many things can be put down, we can put Alzheimer's or cancer or Parkinson's disease or an accident or just old age, but when it comes right down to it, there's only one cause of death, and that is sin. And it's something that we were born with, and it's something that we commit in our thoughts and our words and our deeds every day. And yet when Jesus went to the cross, what did he do? He took the sins of the whole world, the Bible says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Past, present, and future upon himself. And there he suffered the punishment for that sin. He took our hell, our damnation, our death upon himself. And when he died physically, they placed his body in the tomb. And yet on the third day, They got there and the body was gone. He's not here. He's risen. And as a result, one day death indeed will die. This is a temporary interruption for for us Christians. When you consider the well-documented facts of Easter, did Jesus die? Yeah, it's well-documented. Was his body placed in a tomb? Oh, yes. Did the women weep? Was there sadness? Of course. 
Where then is our hope? It's not in Good Friday. It's not in the long hours of that lonely Saturday. Our only hope is what happened on Easter morning. And if Jesus was nothing more than a man, then we would have no hope at all. And our dreams of living with God forever under the shade of the tree of life would just be idle dreams. But there's good news. He's not here. He's risen. When Job asked that question 4,000 years ago, if a person dies, will he live again? It's the greatest question of all humanity. And you know, Easter is meant to answer that. Death. Have you ever touched a dead person? I don't mean to be morbid here. Have you ever experienced the cold, clammy, waxen feel of death? It's not fun. It's terrible, and it's unnatural. When I was in my first congregation, I had been a pastor for about four years. The church got a phone call from a family that lived in rural Tippecanoe County out on a farm. They had been blessed with their 10th child. The child had just been baptized the week before. And the mother, I answered, they switched the phone to me and said, our son, Christian, that was his name, is not doing well. Pastor, would you come out and pray over him? And so I said, fine, I'll, I'll be right out. And I got my car and I went there. And I walked up the porch and I opened the door and the mother handed me the lifeless body of a one-month-old son wrapped in a blue blanket. I'll never forget it. And I have to tell you, it rocked my world. It was at the same time as, as my wife had given birth to our second daughter. And it was just, I, I, it was a feeling of anger. Why, Lord, do you let this happen? Why does there have to be death? That's why the Bible says that death is the last enemy that is to be destroyed. Death indeed is an enemy. And yet as God's people, we are here we are here because even though we don't exactly know what happens when we die, we wonder, what's it going to be like? What's it going to be like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? We know that Jesus defeated death. And I love that illustration of the sting of a bee. The Bible says the sting of death is sin. And the only reason, the only way that a stinger can be removed is for someone else to take it. When we were on a vacation one time, all nine of us in the station wagon and there was a bee that flew into the car that's happened with you before too and so my dad very calm says just lower the windows well my siblings were you know oh, oh. and so we lowered the windows he says shoo the bee out and so we all were all shooing the bee but the bee was not chewable okay <laughs> it didn't leave and the bee got into the front area of the car and what did my dad do he grabbed the bee and I don't ex remember exactly what he said, but I think it was something like, ouch. Okay? <laughs> but he took the bee and he threw it out the window. But the bee had stung him so that the bee would not sting anyone else. You see, when Jesus took the venom, the sting of death upon himself, for all those who attach themselves to him, the Bible says, will have everlasting life. That death merely becomes the gate or the door that we have to pass through then in order to be with him forever in heaven. Does that mean that death is not hard for us? You know, we, we know that we 
don't need to be afraid of death. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The New Testament even refers to death as sleep, because when you sleep, you plan to wake up. Does that make it easy for us to face? This spring, it'll be, it'll be six years since my dad died. Six years. And you know, he, he, was, he was one of my heroes. He was a pastor for over 50 years. And I remember calling him up and I'd say, Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think I should do? And I still miss that. And I still reach for my phone sometimes. I say, I'd, I'd sure like to talk to my dad. But it's hard. I was, I was with a group of, of pastors. And uh, they were pastors of large churches like ours. And most of them had been in their congregations for a long time, like me, 26 years. And we all agreed that the hardest thing about being in a congregation for a long time is having to say goodbye to people that you've got to know, people who have cared for you, and you cared for them. And about that time, one of the pastors got a phone call from church back home. And he answered the phone, and it was someone in their small group. And the pastor and his wife's small group, their son had just been found dead of a drug overdose. And he came back, and he's just sobbing. He's crying. And there was silence. No one said anything. We were all pastors. We knew all the answers. He knew the answer. And finally, he said, you know, guys, I believe, but it's just so hard. It's just so hard. You know what it's like, too. It's just so hard hard. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus, but one day the Bible says that things will be different. One day death will be overcome with pure and perfect joy. And the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth and even a new body. And I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to that, okay? <laughs> new body. Well, how do we know that? How can we have such confidence? How, how can we be so hopeful? It's because of what happened on that first Easter. He's not here. He's risen. And because he lives, now we live too. For when Jesus walked out of the tomb, those who attach themselves to him by faith also will walk out of the tomb. You know, we began the Lenten season with the fact that Adam and Eve sinned. They were removed from the garden. They no longer enjoyed the shade of the tree of life and sin ruled thereafter, and so came death. Now let's do a full circle. We go from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, John's Revelation. And you heard these words in chapter 22. And he's describing the new Jerusalem, what heaven is going to be like. And he says, we'll see the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. And on each side of the river, there it is, the tree of life, yielding its fruit. And then he says, there will be no more night. That means there's not going to be anything bad anymore. No more discouragement, no more sin, no more death. God will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever. What a beautiful picture of the restoration that we look forward to because of what Jesus Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. And we will reign with the Lord Jesus forever. And so you have to ask, so what now? What's, what, what, what's next? The Bible says that while you are still breathing, while your heart is still ticking, we are called to press on 
to press on toward the goal to win the price for which God has called us heavenward in Christ. That means that while we look forward to that time when God makes everything right at the resurrection, we know that we're still here. And the cross, which was once a symbol of torture and death, now becomes a symbol of victory for us. It's God's plus sign for you and me that God's got everything under control. And that, yes, in that vertical of the cross, we can trust in Him. We know that nothing will ever separate us from His love, that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And not only that, as we live in this vertical relationship with God, He also gives us the cross, the outward shape, the horizontal, that God has placed you where you are to make a difference. He's given you a purpose in your life, that you aren't just to live for yourself, but God calls you to reach out, to care for, to build people up in the love of Jesus, your Savior. Friends, I don't know for sure where you are right now in your faith, but if your soul is hungering and thirsting for something more in this life, and also to have the assurance of what's going to ha happen in the life to come, then I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now through His Word so that you put your trust completely in Him. And as you put your trust in Him, so He moves you out into this world as His representatives. You've been sitting for a long time. Let's stand, okay? Please stand. <laughs>